Hello and welcome to Bible 101. We're going to get started here in just a minute. Right now we're trying to get everything set up and I want to give people some time to log on. I'm here with Brother Eric Feeman, Brother Greg Ross, and today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're actually going to go a little more topical than what we usually do. And rather than pick certain biblical subjects, we're going to talk about kind of the state of the world, where we're at on the, the uh, prophetic calendar. But I don't want you to get too excited about that because we're not going to necessarily pick out the book of Revelation and start telling you what all it means and, you know, who the uh, who the locusts are and who the, the horsemen are and all of that. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into any of that. But what I, I do want to talk about is uh, some deep concerns that I have about uh, the church. We could say a lot about uh, where we're at as a country, uh, but I don't really want to make this a political conversation. What I'm concerned about is the church, the state of the church. So I want to uh, actually open the discussion that way. And um, we're going to get started here in just a minute. So please give us some time to get some thoughts together. How are you gentlemen doing today? Doing good, bro. Now, I will tell you before I begin my little talk, um, it may sound a little over the top to some people out there and maybe even a little bit, um, I don't know if the right word would be fatalists, but at the same time, I, I'm not I'm not prophesying doom and gloom, but uh, I do want to talk about uh, some deep concerns that I have. And so please take it as nothing more than just my concerns and don't think I'm claiming to be a prophet because I'm not. But uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Um, what we're going to do is I'm, I'm going to give a little brief discussion, maybe 15 minutes, and we're going to open it up for discussion. And then uh, Brother Ross will speak. Is that OK? We have him sure. we're going to have Brother Ross speak and he's going to give kind of his perspective. And then we'll open it up for discussion. And finally, Brother Feeman will speak and we'll uh, open it up for discussion. So I, I don't have a whole lot of notes here. I don't plan to go too terribly long. I always say that, though, and we know what happens. Uh, so that's uh, that's one of my faults, but I'll do my best to stay within the time constraints. OK, um, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I'm going to call my little part of this discussion the wallet in the trash. And I'll explain what that means. But let me just read a text. Proverbs 23 and 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. And let me just open this with a little story. One day I was doing some house cleaning and uh, my kids were there with me. And my youngest daughter, uh, she would have been about somewhere around one at the time. She saw what I was doing. I was cleaning house and I was just basically throwing everything in the trash. I was getting rid of a lot of junk, just cleaning out some old stuff that I'd hung on to. And so while I'm putting all the stuff in the trash, she watches me. Well, she decides she's going to help me. So I, I turn my back and she starts putting stuff in the trash. Well, I uh, took and tied the bag up and took everything out and put it in the dumpster. And, you know, a day or two went by. Well, a few days later, I wanted to go somewhere. So I went over to the counter and started looking for my wallet and realized my wallet was gone. 
And I looked and looked and looked and I looked everywhere. I tore that place apart looking for my wallet and couldn't find it. It had my social security cards in it, had driver's license in it, had money in it. And so I'm searching for it and can't find it anywhere. And it took me a long time to discover the reason I couldn't find it is because my daughter had thrown it in the trash and it's too late. It's gone. There's nothing I could do to get it back. So you can imagine the hassle of having to go through the process of, you know, getting a new bank card, canceling out the old one, getting a new driver's license, you know, social security cards. So uh, this is my point, though. Really, she wasn't at fault. Why? Because she threw it in the trash because she didn't understand its value. That's my point. And so I want to take this text here and just say, buy the truth and sell it not. One of my deepest concerns is that the church is in the process of selling something it has no right to sell. And um, I, I just want to talk about this for a little bit. I think the reason why a lot of churches have turned away from what they always preached, Acts 2.38 message, Jesus named baptism and filling of the Holy Ghost, evidence by speaking in other tongues, holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. A lot of people have turned away from that because they do not recognize or maybe never recognize the value of it. And we are given a key here in Proverbs 23, 23 is by the truth. The more you have invested in it, the less like, likely you are to sell it. And uh, I was thinking about something. The Bible talks about that uh, one day a deceiver is going to step on the scene, the Antichrist. And uh, the Bible talks about the fact that many in that day are going to uh, turn away from the truth and they're going to fall in, right into the line of deception. And uh, we read about that in the book of Second uh, Thessalonians, where the Bible talks about God shall send them a strong delusion that they shall be, believe a lie uh, because they didn't love the truth, but they had pleasure and unrighteousness. The truth lost its value to them. That's why they're going to be deceived. And so many times I hear that scripture used and, and men preach about it, but they don't preach necessarily about the context of it. The context is the Antichrist sets himself up as God. And you say, well, how is the world going to receive the Antichrist? How are they going to bow to one man? I just don't see that happening. I mean, who, but this is this is the reason why they're going to do it is because they never valued the truth. Uh, and so he, he stands up, he proclaims himself to be God. Well, if you're given a choice, let me just ask you guys something. If you're given a choice between your money or your life, man puts a gun to your head, your money or your life. Well, how many people are going to say, you know what? I want to hold on to my money. The money instantly loses its value because your life is in jeopardy. And I got to thinking about some stories in the Bible, and I just kind of want to share this with you guys. So I'm not going to read the text, but in the story of Joseph. He comes into power in Egypt. There's a famine going on, right? So we know he takes the good in, in the time of the good years. He takes the plenty, sets it up in the storehouses. Then famine hits and people run out of food. So they start coming to Joseph. And the first thing that they say is, well, you know, we're going to pay you money and you give us the food. So they give him money. Then their money runs out. What's the second thing they do? Well, we, we got to survive. We're dying here. Well, what's it worth to you? How about your property? Okay, we'll sell our property to you. The third thing that happens is they come to him and they say, well, our property's gone, our money's gone. What more can we have? We'll sell ourselves to you. And I'm reminded of something that, and I understand it's something the devil said, but if you look at the book of Job, he told God, he said, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Well, you say the devil's a liar. I understand that, but he studied human nature for thousands of years. He knows what he's talking about. He said, God, I know this is true. And God didn't debate that point. It was wrong with Job. 
But with most people, it's not wrong. They'll give everything for their life. Right. I'm also reminded of in the Bible, the story of uh, Samaria and the famine in Samaria. And the Bible says that dove's dung was being sold in the marketplace. People were eating, uh, were eating dove's dung, paying money for it. I mean, can you imagine that? But they're trying to survive. And then we read the story about the king's on the wall, and he's, he's grieving over the situation that's going on. And a woman comes forward. She says, I have a dispute. I, I need to come to you, O king. And he said, what's the problem? And she said, well, you know, uh, me and, and, and uh, I guess uh, somebody close to her said, we, we just made an agreement that we'll bowl my child today and we'll eat him and then we'll bowl your child tomorrow. Well, we bowled my child and ate. And once they got some, some sustenance on the belly, the woman started thinking clearly again. I can't give my child up. This is craziness. But people, you think famine turns rational people into irrational people. Right. And so this is my point, is if you don't get some things settled in the good times, how much is the truth worth to you? Right. If you don't start investing in it in the good times, when the famine comes, you'll sell it for nothing. Right. You'll sell it cheap. And it's uh, what did Jesus say? He said, uh, uh, you know, talking about what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, this is what I'm saying. And it may, again, I understand this may sound like I'm being a little over the top, but uh, one of my greatest concerns is we're seeing a generation that even, even though we're not yet facing persecution, and I believe that day will come because the Bible tells us it will, uh, we're seeing a generation of people, my generation, that's selling cheap. They're selling for nothing. It's like Judas to Judas, Jesus was only worth 30 pieces of silver. Uh, and if you stop to think about it, I've heard people say, well, that's the maximum price you could get for a slave. Because if you look, Joseph went for 20 pieces. Jesus goes for 30. They say, well, that's the maximum price you could get. But think about it. I mean, it was worth nothing. When he saw that uh, what had happened to Jesus, he went back and said, this is worth nothing to me anymore. And he throws it down. He says, take your money. He wished he had never done it. And people are going to find out after they sell this truth, they're going to find out, man, I sold out too cheap. Right. Why? Because there's no, what, what kind of value can you put on the truth? Mm -hmm. It's immeasurable. The value is immeasurable. Just a couple little other things too. Uh, I was thinking about something and I, I used this a while back, but uh, there, I, I got to studying the worship of a god i want to say is moloch and it may not be moloch uh but they talked about how that they offered their children as sacrifices in, in tophet y'all probably maybe done some study about that and uh they said what would happen is parents would bring their children and lay them in the arms of moloch and the fires would blaze and the child would be consumed by the fire while the parents watched and you hear that and you say how barbaric how crazy how could they do something like that but I noticed that they, they said that nearby they would have drums that would play and would beat. And it says it would literally bring a trance over the parents. And like zombies, they would walk forward and hand the child into the arms of, of this false god and watch their child burn. And it's like they were oblivious to what was going on until it was too late. It already happened when they walk away. But they're under a trance. They said the drums would almost put them under a trance. And think about it. The Bible tells us about hell. Okay, hell is eternal. Hell is a, a burning lake of fire, eternal torment, uh, you know, constant pain, constant regrets, constant memories. And then you see heaven on, on the flip side of that, where no pain, no tears, no sorrow, being with Jesus for all eternity. Who in their right mind would choose hell over heaven? Right. But Jesus said, many will be that go in there at, go to hell.
but only a few is going to be saved. And you think, well, what, what is it? It's because the devil has people under a trance. They're marching headlong, headlong off into hell. They're in a trance and it's, it's, it's the drumbeat of hell, if you will. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is uh, here today that I have a greater concern than COVID-19. Right. I have a greater concern that what's going to happen to America. I have a greater concern uh, than, you know, what's going to happen to uh, religious freedom and the future and all of these things. You know what my main concern here is? There is something worse than COVID. There's something worse than, than cancer. There's something worse than all these other sicknesses that I could mention. And that is complacency. That is compromise in the church. Because if the devil can get us to no longer value the truth, he knows we'll sell it out cheaply. And so what we're watching is a slow degrading of, at least in our minds and in our spirits, the value of truth in the church. We're watching a slip further and further and further away. And uh, let me just kind of end this way, my little part of this discussion here. And I'm I'm only at 13 minutes, so I'm doing good. Um, If you look and study in the Bible, how that obviously, you know, God brings Israel out of Egypt. Okay. And then uh, through a period of time, excuse me, they go through the judges. And so the judges come along and they lead the people and the people compromise and they, another judge will rise up and, you know, they'll go into captivity on and on. The story goes, finally, they uh, select the king after the days of Samuel. And so you see the Kings, they have some good, some bad, the kingdom splits, uh, you know, uh, uh, Israel goes full long off into a rebellion. Judah has some good kings. They have some bad kings. So it's kind of an up and down history for them. Israel's all bad. It goes downhill. So first, Israel goes into captivity. And what somebody I want to focus on is the prophet Jeremiah stands up in the midst of all this. First of all, he's kind of the reluctant prophet. He doesn't want to go and prophesy. But Lord, I'm a youth. I can't go. And God says, don't say you're a youth. I'll be with you. I'll be your mouth. I'll speak for you. So he goes. And then we find out after he starts preaching, he sees the persecution he starts facing. He says, well, God, I I don't want to do this anymore. He said, I thought to keep silence, but his word was in my heart as a fire shut up in my bones. I couldn't contain it. And so he keeps preaching the truth. Well, anyways, uh, we know that he warns them. And he says, if you don't turn from your ways, there's going to be a nation that will come and take you captive. But, but that's not going to be the end. God's going to use this to get your attention, okay? So he calls them to righteousness, to come back to God, to do the things right. You're corrupt, on and on and on. So anyways, time goes by. We know that they are taken into the land of captivity. They come in. They burn down the, the temple. They burn down the city walls. Uh, they're taken in from Babylon. And then, obviously, the prophet Daniel God starts giving him dreams, and he, and of course Ezekiel prophesies during the time of the exile. God tells him there's coming a day. I'm going to gather them back together, and we know that that happens. Persia comes into power. They send them back. They, they rebuild uh, during this time, and then you see that uh, finally we see the last prophet of the Old Testament is Malachi. Now, here they are. God has shown them mercy. You would think that after going into the land of captivity, and it's been prophesied by all these prophets, it would get their attention, and it would cause them to come back to themselves and, hey, wait, you know, we need to get back to righteousness and holiness here. But what happens is Malachi says, you're going right back to what you were before. And so we know that after that, it happens all over again. Greece comes into power and then there's persecution that causes certain people, Maccabees and all that, rise up. They kind of create their own thing going here. For a time, they fight for freedom. It seems like they're free. The Romans come into power. It all comes right back down uh, to where it was before. But then this is what I want to talk about is, 
when the Romans came into power, we all know Caesar was proclaimed to God. There was an uprising. Uh, then we see that, uh, you know, of course, under Caesar Augustus, it goes right back. He's proclaimed to God as well. And, and then it goes from a Roman Republic to where it's ruled all by Caesar. Okay. And then we see that Herod is put in Jerusalem. They hate Herod. We all know they hate Herod. Why did they not rise up against Herod then? Well, because he gave certain religious leaders uh, freedoms. He gave them power. He gave them influence. And so here's the church. You guys may see where I'm going now. Here's the church that when the pressure's put on, they just conform. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Right. Uh, they just keep conforming and conforming and conforming mm -hmm. until there's so much hypocrisy that they said, actually, I've done some study about this. They said the average Jew did not belong to the Pharisees, did not belong to the Sadducees or to the Essenes or the, the Zealots. The average Jew was left without a spiritual home. And so who did Jesus reach for? That average Jew. And, and John the Baptist comes on the scene first. And we know what is the first words out of his mouth? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this is my point. And it all comes down to this is who will be that voice in the wilderness? That in the society and the way the church is headed and the compromise and how we're conforming, the more pressure that's being put on the church, the more we're seeing conforming. I, I saw, uh, you know, of course, we know about uh, 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 the Catholics, the direction they're going and their pope. Mm -hmm. I saw actually a Catholic cry out against the pope. And he was he was saying that the, this pope is being influenced by hell. Sure. And uh, but you see how. They're conforming. Other groups are conforming and they're they're taking on. So, you know, we got to tolerate some things. We got to you know, our society's different. We're, this isn't the same society that we grew up in. We got to tolerate some things. So you look at all of this. But what I'm saying is rather the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. Romans 12 and one, but be transformed. Or verse two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But it says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Pressure. Uh, ought to make us more bold. If you look at the church grew, the more it was persecuted, the more it grew. But where the, tr the devil saw that trap didn't work. So what did he do next? He allowed the church to gain acceptance. Mm -hmm. And we see uh, through, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Romans actually embracing Christianity caused them to compromise. Hey, let's have some compromise here. And so they started to compromise. And that's no, we've talked about in the four, before. That's where right. the doctrine of the Trinity came from. Right, right. That's where some of these other doctrines, weird doctrines started coming from, is because the church compromised to gain acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, I'll open it up for discussion with you guys at this point. But that's kind of, that's what's been eating at me lately is I am concerned. Don't get me wrong. As an American, I'm concerned about our nation concerned about, you know, the direction we're headed, but I'm not going to get into all that. Right. What I'm concerned about most is the church. Do you sure. guys have anything to add to that? Uh, a few things popped in my mind. One, uh, no, number one, um, you're talking about the value of things and how something that uh, one day you consider very valuable and situation can change and what you once considered very valuable is no longer very valuable. Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 8, and uh, verse 34, and when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is... Uh, 
as letting us know the value. There's nothing in this world. In fact, the whole world would not uh, equal or come close to the value of your soul and where your soul is going to spend eternity. I'm also reminded of, at a service we were in one time and a man of God was preaching along these lines about uh, something that you considered value and uh, people would have something that they wouldn't sell. He asked a man uh, in the church there, he said, you have some property? He said, yes. He said, uh, would you sell it to me for $50,000? He goes, nope, no way. He said, okay. He said, would you sell it to me for $100,000? He says, nope, no way. And he kind of went up a couple more times and he got to about maybe, I don't know the exact price, but maybe up to 750,000. He goes, hmm, wait a minute, let me think about that. So he did have a price, something he initially said he wouldn't sell it. When the price got to a certain level, he was willing to sell, sell, uh, sell it. So people do that with their soul. Churches do that with doctrine. And, and, and it, is a, it, it is a selling out. It is a selling out. Then that is a great concern. We, we, we live in a day where um, it, it, I guess we could call it relativism or situational ethics. And uh, we don't want to have absolute truth. We don't want a, a, a definite, this is right and this is wrong. Well, this is right to you, but it's wrong to me. And what's wrong to you is right to me. That brings nothing but confusion and chaos. But when there's absolute truth, the, when you know where the line is, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. We're also reminded of, you mentioned Daniel, uh, when Daniel and, and, and what we call the three Hebrew children, uh, when they came into captivity, the Bible says they purposed in their heart. Right up front, before they were faced with anything, they purposed in their heart. They were, was not going to defile themselves with the king's meat. That's good. They really purposed in their heart. No matter what we face, they had enough they had enough of the word of God in them, enough God in them that no matter what they faced, they were determining in their heart, purposing in their heart up front that they would not sell out. And, and they, they did not sell out. They, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, and they wouldn't burn. And so, so there is this pressure to, um, to give in, to sell out, but the rewards of standing strong and standing true, uh, the, the, re, the reward is, the, Jesus talked about treasures in heaven. And I, I've taught that before, and I and I thought about what these treasures are. You, you know, <clears throat> when I see when I see a lost soul come into a church service and feel the presence of God, and when I see that individual uh, walk down the aisle and begin to pray in the altar, and I see them crying, I cry with them, and I think you can't put you can't put a price on that. That's you couldn't give me money for that. When, when I see a, a loved one or, or someone that I've reached out to, a lost family member, and I see them in altar praying and, and receiving the Holy Ghost, I, I look around and say, you couldn't give me a million dollars. You could, I wouldn't trade this for nothing. Right. And uh, uh, this is worth living for. It's worth dying for. There is no price for your soul. Amen. You got anything to add? Uh, yes, sir. I just say that one thing that came to mind when you were talking about if someone was to um, hold a gun to you or whatever it may be and say your life or your money. Uh, it's nothing to, to uh, say, well, here's the money. I want my life. But then I got to thinking about what if the gun is not real? What if it's fake gun? Are you going to sit there and, and try to determine, well, maybe, you know, maybe it ain't real. Maybe you, you, you don't want to take the chance. Yeah. And that's what a lot of times people do. They take the chance that maybe the gun ain't real or they take the chance that maybe that ain't going to hurt me like that. And uh, one thing that came to mind, too, is what Jesus said. In uh, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 45, he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he found one, 
pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so uh, going back to your original commentary, you talked about buy the truth and sell it not. We get a lot of people sometimes that say, well, I don't know if it takes all of that. Does it, does it take, does it take, you know, the holiness? Does it take uh, separation? Does it take all, all the different things that the apostolic church has to do? But are you willing to take the chance? Are you willing to, are you just willing to say whatever it takes? I'm going to, I want the pearl of great price. I want the truth. I want what's right. And I'm willing to give up. If I got to give up whatever I got to give up, it's worth it to go to heaven. That's right. Yes. That's all I got to say. Uh, I like what one man said regarding baptism in Jesus name. Somebody was trying to argue with him and they, and they said, uh, are you really sure it takes that? Is there really any difference? And he said, you know, I'd rather get up there and not need it and have it than to get up there and need it and not have it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and, and I just ask you, if it's in the word of God, we better obey it. Right. I don't want to take a chance. This is, this is your soul on the line. Absolutely. And um, we're not talking about a million dollars. You know, I told some guys, I'll never forget this at, at the prison one time. I said, guys, I've taught you about baptism in Jesus name over and over and over. And some of you will not do it. So, but I want to ask you a question. If I was to offer you a thousand dollars to go down and dunk in the river in the name of whatever, I could say in my own name, go dunk in the river in the name of Jordan and I'll give you a thousand bucks. They'd do it. They'd line up. They'd be fighting for the first one to get in the water. But when it comes to their soul, they won't. I mean, how hard is it to go down and water in the name of Jesus? Right. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And that 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 allows you to know that's, that that's why the devil fights it. Exactly. That's why the devil. Why it. is there opposition to what to we teach? See, and, and that's what we're facing in our society, though, is the fact that and I'll shut up after this. But uh, what we're facing in our society is they hate absolutes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you know, you can tell me your opinion. It's fine as long as it's your opinion. But don't tell me it's the only way to believe, because mm-hmm. when it becomes an absolute, they'll fight it. That's true. All right. Brother Ross, you go ahead. All right. Um we're, we're living in a day and an hour, and the three of us that are sitting here at this time, um, I'm, I'm the eldest, and, and I'm seeing things that I've never seen in my lifetime, and uh, I talk with those that are older than me. My mother's 83. She's never seen anything quite like this. Uh, I have spoke with people that lived through the Great Depression and, and of course, World War II and some of those terrible times, um, not only in this country, but in the entire world. But no one's ever seen, and I'll use the word felt, what's going on in the world right now. And um, and over the last few months, and by the way, at the time of this recording, uh, it's, it's, it's being recorded live, but it is November 2020. And uh, the world we're living in right now is not the same world any of us were in six months ago, eight, 10, 12 months ago. It's not the same world, not just our little communities, not just our country, but countries around the world. We're all living in a way we've never lived before. And er early on, and and obviously it all started with with a virus, a coronavirus, COVID, Chinese flu, whatever you want, name you want to put on it. But early on, I began to have some conversations with my wife as I observed and experienced what was going on. And these are a few things that I, that I noticed that was taking place. N- number one, number one, the first thing that happened worldwide was fear. 
and I've, I've studied that through the Bible. There's there's different there's several different Hebrew and Greek words that that mean fear. I'm not going to get into all that, but just to throw out a a few. Uh, it, the word fear means fear. Imagine that. It means dread, a terror, a timidity, uh, awe, alarm. It also means respect. And so, the, and I had this conversation with my wife. There was this, there was this fear, this worry of what's going on. And I remember talking to my wife about it. Obviously, she was she was concerned as as, as we all were. What's going to happen? And when when th- our lives begin to change literally overnight, it allowed me to know, you, you know what? We've always talked. We've always talked about the coming of the Lord and things that were going to happen and how things could ha- happen so quickly, just literally overnight. And then we begin to see it come to pass. It's like it, it's like a it's like a prophetic light bulb coming on. Wow. This is the day and the hour that that the Bible has talked to us about for so long. Yeah, we've always seen hints of, of, of things. You know, we've talked about signs of the times and things like that. But but this was this was different. This was worldwide. This was something that we were all experiencing. And the first thing I noticed was fear. And even now, as we speak, not just again, not just in this country, but people around the world are building bomb shelters. They're called preppers and and they're growing by that by the millions. They're storing food. They're stockpiling. Uh, it was it, it was in a, in a sense humorous, but in a sense, uh, a starting a startling reality that people were buying the toilet paper and, and uh, cleaning supplies off the shelves. And, and there's still a shortage of those types of things. People are stockpiling that. People are buying guns and ammunition in a level never seen or experienced before. Uh, medical supplies, generators, solar, on and on it goes. Uh, and people are seeing their economies destroyed, the businesses, uh, thousands of businesses being closed. And they see the, the pandemic taking place and uh, the more more than than that is the moral collapse in our country. Right. And so we're seeing all this. We see the worry. We see the fear and we see the doubt. And uh, Brother Mills, you kind of made mention of fear makes people selfish. Uh, it, you know, it makes when you're when you're in fear for your life, what you thought was valuable is no longer valuable anymore and makes people selfish. I'm, I'm going to get what I need for me and mine. And who cares about it, anybody else? Fear does it. Does a lot of uh, terrible things to people. Luke cha- chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-six. The Bible says, "Jesus says, men's hearts failing them for fear." The other thing I noticed was confusion. What's right? What's wrong? We were hearing from political leaders and doctors. They'd say one thing one day and something else the next day. Hey, wait a minute. They said this, and now they're saying this. What? <clears throat> There, there's confusion. What's right? What's wrong? We've been talking about relativism, situational ethics, no, situational ethics, no absolute truths. Uh, there's this confusion going on. Well, so who's telling the truth here? Who's telling the truth? When you hear politicians and doctors and uh, other levels <clears throat> in our society, uh, one saying one thing and one saying something else. What's that breed? Total confusion. Uh, relativism and, and situational ethics breeds confusion. Uh, and with, with that, I'd like to read first Timothy chapter four and verse one. Now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to receive with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know, uh, the truth, Matthew 24 and 24. 
Uh, turn there as I can. Matthew 24 and 24. For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. And so, so we see this confusion. Why is there confusion? Because there's lies being told. There's lies being told. And 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 but I will and I'm going to get to some positive stuff here in a minute. So bear bear with me. Um, we see chaos, chaos and lawlessness in our streets. Uh, Second Timothy, Second uh, Timothy, chapter three. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, uh, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such from such turn away. Uh, verse 7, or ever learning and never come to the knowledge of the truth. And so I ask you today, as we read through this list, are you seeing any of this take place where you're living at? We're seeing it everywhere we look. We're seeing it on our street corners. We're seeing it in our families. We're seeing it everywhere we look. We're living in perilous times and the bible says that those the in the last days perilous times shall come uh by the way that word uh they're fierce in, in verse three fierce that means that means not tame that means savage that means wild that means uh, violent that means no restraint have you looked at what's going on in the cities of this country lately fierce savage wild uh, back to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax, uh, wax cold. Iniquity means lawlessness. There's no, there's no law. There's, there's no right or wrong. We see all these things. We see the fear, the doubt, the worry, the confusion, the chaos, the lawlessness. Another thing that I noticed over the past several months to a level I've never seen before is hate, 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 hate. Uh, Proverbs 10 and 12 says, hatred stirreth up strifes, plural, hatred, hatred. And on and on, we, we could go with all that. But let me let me finish up with this. And we're going to turn to several verses of scripture here. Let me say that there is an answer. There is an answer to all of this, Brother Mills. Um it's not in our governments. Right. That's not where our answer lies. A lot of people, that's what they're looking to. It's not in another political party. It's not in politicians. It's not in another election. It's not in our doctors. People say, let's follow the science. That's not where the answer is. Lawyers? Nope. Professors? Nope. That's not the answer. How about John chapter 14? Let's, let's read some good scriptures here. We don't want to leave you hanging with all this despair going on in the world. Hey, there's there's hope. There's hope. It's not it's not in things of the world. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 14, verse one. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. And so and I, I would also want to read the. Uh, um, verse, verse five, Thomas said, Lord, we, we know not whether thou goest and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, 
I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you'd known me, you should have known my Father also. And he goes on and uh, and has a more of a discussion there. But but look, if you've listened to Bible 101 any at all, you have heard Acts 2.38 over and over and over again. It's scriptural. It's in the Bible. If you repent of your sins and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins will be remitted and washed away. God can and will fill you with the Holy Ghost, and you will know it because you will begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. God will start, uh, uh, you can start a walk with God in a, in a way of holiness and separation that you never even could imagine you could do. If you follow that wonderful plan of salvation, let not your heart be troubled. But, uh, but we're also here to, to give a word of warning to those that have not obeyed the plan of salvation. You're standing on, on dangerous ground. We've got we to give that warning today. Uh, more scripture here. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy. I've got to find it here. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 7 says. Um, oh, 2 Timothy. i got 1 Timothy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. And I talked about fear, but the Bible says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind.
I was doing this. I thought we're, we're going to. Do okay, something. we're uh, picking up to try to start again. And when somebody joins us on here, I'll ask them how the audio recording sounds. Uh, can you tell me how it sounds out there? Want to make sure it sounds okay before we pick up where we left off. So, again, that's one of the issues with you know technology. Sometimes there's going to be technical difficulties that come in. But uh, anyways, Brother Ross, when we left off, uh, you were kind of completing your discussion. Okay. So maybe why don't you just give us a, a, a little bit of the last part of what you were sure. talking about there. Yeah, just, just a quick synopsis. When I, when I began to see the fear in the, that was in the world and, and pray about it, I I, um, I said, wait, wait a minute. God's, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And then I saw the confusion in the world. And then I, I thought of the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion. And then I began to see the lawlessness, iniquity in, in our streets. And I read, I read first or second Timothy about perilous times and, I'm, and it began to dawn on me what was taking place. And so as someone repented and baptized in Jesus name, filled with the Holy Ghost, endeavoring to walk, have a walk with God and, and live for the Lord, I began to think of all the scriptures that uh, allowed me to know that I didn't have to live in fear, uh, that I could not, uh, Jesus said, let not my heart be troubled, troubled. And um, that my hope and trust is in Jesus Christ, not the governments and the things of the world and po political parties and doctors and science and lawyers. It's in Jesus Christ. And then, and then I thought, as other, as other apostolic believers around the world, we can take hope in First Thessalonians chapter four, uh, where he said uh, that uh, the trump of God is going to sound. That's really going to happen. It's in the Bible. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a made-up story. The Bible says that the trump of God's going to sound, that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with him to meet the, the Lord in the air and the clouds. And so shall we ever be with him. And we comfort one another with these words. Could you just outline some of your points? Because I'm just trying to ask for clarification on when the roar started. Uh, just outline the first points that you gave about what you noticed going on right after COVID. Uh, the first thing I noticed was was fear. All around the world, people was they were literally scared and worried to death, and uh, even even those in my family and those that I know and associate with, there was this there was this fear and this dread, and and uh, businesses shutting down and economies being shut down, and 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 so it was fear. And then and then I began to see the preppers of the world and their bomb shelters and their buying guns and ammunition and and stockpiling. Everything from toilet paper to uh, to uh, everything, medical supplies, and so on, so uh, so forth, and and begin to see the the moral collapse from all this fear. And so, with all this fear taking place, and then we begin to see the unrest in our cities, uh, you know, the confusion about what was right and wrong. Uh, the, you know, the Bible says Luke twenty one twenty six, men's hearts failing them for fear. Uh, begin to see the confusion. Uh, we were being told one thing one day, something else the next day by pol politicians, by scientists and doctors. So there was confusion going on. And then I was like, wait a minute, God's not the author of confusion. 
Uh, I begin to see chaos and lawlessness. Uh, Second Timothy talks about perilous times in the last days. He uses the word fierce. That word means not tame, savage, wild, violent, no restraint. And I begin to see what was taking place in, in cities, not just in, in the United States, but in cities around the world. And, uh, and, and, then I, and then I noticed the hate that was in the world. There's just so much, so much hate. And, and, and the Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 12 that hatred stirreth up strifes. And so I see all these things that the Bible talks about and all of what I was observing and what was on my mind and in, in prayer about. And, and I begin to realize that people are looking for an answer. Uh, people are, are, are looking towards a politician that's got the right way. And they're looking, uh, they're looking for someone to tell them the truth. And they're looking for a better life. And, and in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so thank God uh, we have the answer, and it's Jesus Christ. That's good. You got anything to add to that? Well, I don't really have anything to add because what I have to say is going to go right along. Okay, go ahead and open it up. That. Okay. Um, I had a lot of the same feelings, honestly. I mean, like you can't live through this this time we're living in and not kind of, you know, see what's going on and that kind of thing. I know Brother uh, Ross already had read from Second Timothy 3 and some of the other scriptures that I had written down there, but I kind of was going to, I had a lot of the same thoughts he had. I'm going to kind of take it in a little different direction. Um, he uh, so well brought out about how that people feel scared and they, they, they're, they they do not know where to turn. They don't know what to go, where to go to. Um, and brought it about as people who don't know God and, and, you know, as an opportunity to get to know God, I took it from a standpoint of where I had been once before in my life. And what the pressures of the world does to people and uh, take it from the angle of like a of a looking at it from a backslider who once have tasted what it was like to be in church mm-hmm. and to have that hope and to have the ability to trust in God. But now they feel like it's gone mm-hmm. and they feel hopeless. They don't feel like there's an opportunity for them to get back. And um, the other night, uh, just when we had, we had an awesome move of God in the church service and God was moving in the song service. And it was actually brother Mills here that was behind the pulpit at the time leading the service. And he began to talk and there was a, it was something that I felt this scripture came to my mind. And I, I read it when I got back home later, but I told my wife, I said, if uh, at that moment I could have said something or talked to somebody, this was the scripture that came to mind that I would have said. And it went a lot right along the lines of when I thought of this and I was thinking this and then, Brother Mills came out and said God wanted to say that he hadn't forgotten and that he he hadn't forgotten people. And um, I just want to go there real quick to the scripture that came to mind was in Second um, Kings chapter 20. Uh, Bible says, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in the truth and with perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept a sore. I'm not going to go all the way through all the prayer that Hezekiah prayed and what ended up happening. We find out here later that the Bible talks about that God had heard his prayer. And because of that, he added 15 years to his life. God restored something back to Hezekiah that he thought was going to be taken from him. And the devil likes to get us in a situation where we feel like 
we're dead. We don't feel like we feel like uh, everything we once was was gone. But if we can pray and we call out to God, get a hold of God, pray, worship. Yeah. And sometimes we get in a rut, even at people who go to church can get in a rut. And if you can just worship your way and praise your way out of it, God can restore you. And um, that's what came to mind when I began to um, think about where we're at. A lot of times people get so caught up in everything, the pressures of life, and they get to where they feel hopeless and they don't feel like there's uh, much of a chance. And the pastor preached not too long ago about uh, the leprous men in Second Kings chapter seven. And they said, why set we here until we die? Mm-hmm. So why are you going to sit there and mope and waller in the, the self-pity of, you know, never dreamed you was going to be where you're at, never thought it was going to be in this situation that here we're, we're living in the last days. We see the signs of the times all around us and we're without God. Never dreamed I was going to be there. Yes. Never thought that was going to happen to me growing up as a young boy, raised in church, being taught in Sunday school, received the Holy Ghost, baptized at an early age. Never thought I was going to be in a place where God's getting ready to come back and I don't even know how to get back. I don't even know what to do. And so uh, the second thing that came to mind was in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and I know you probably figured I was going to go there, but there's one thing I wanted to bring out right uh, leading up to that. Um, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And um, the we, we know where the Bible says there, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. But I've often read that, and we kind of overlook the scriptures leading up to that, especially sometimes when, you you know, it seems a lot of stuff sometimes seems to be meaningless, so you can kind of skip over it, and you go to a part, and you highlight that, but that sounds good. But um, the there's a part that leads up to that that uh, kind of fits into what's been going on here in the world today. And um, verse 13 says, if I shut up the heaven where there is no rain, and you look about how that in Australia at the beginning part of this year, the whole country was on fire because it wasn't raining. And then uh, you you look and you said, if I command locusts to devour the land and you hear about what happened in Kenya and you hear about what happened in Africa Mm -hmm. and how uh, locusts was devouring them and they, they, they didn't know how to get rid of them. They didn't know what to do. And then we find out, if I send a pestilence among my people, and we know that pestilence is a disease or a or a virus, whatever we're dealing with now in this COVID-19. And so God has given us hope here by telling us if these things begin to happen, then if my people, which are called by my name, will yes. humble themselves and pray yeah. and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's what needs to happen to people who have fell away from God, people who feel like there's no hope. They need a healing. Yes. And you got to turn to God for that. And don't ever feel like you, you can't. There's a church here that loves backsliders, that loves people, and we're willing to help any way we can. I just wanted to uh, put that out there. Find you a church that preaches truth. Yeah. Um, the the uh, one thing, too, that comes to mind, that another scripture that came to mind was, while men slept, the enemy came. Yes. And so while you're, while you're just lethargic and you're laying out and you're not doing anything, the enemy's coming to try to devour your soul. And that's what's happening in the last days. There's a battle going on between heaven and earth yes. and uh, between heaven and hell. And we got to realize that God is our only hope. we got to turn to him. Yes, that's very good. Um, <clears throat> the only thing I might say is kind of to, to bring the discussion together now, uh, 
because on the surface you might say, well, it doesn't look like the three points have a whole lot to do with one another, but they actually do. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at, you know, I started off discussion talking about how the pressure is, is forcing a lot of churches to back off and compromise to turn away. Well, it's because pressure can uh, cause you to conform to the world or it can cause you to stand up and be something extraordinary. A lot of times pressure turns ordinary into extraordinary. Consider the three Hebrew children, ordinary men, three ordinary men. But when pressure came, those ordinary men proved themselves to be extraordinary. Uh, how do you know if you're going to be ordinary or extraordinary? Well, how you respond to pressure, how you respond to persecution. And uh, something I, I, I thought about while Brother Eric was talking is, you know, and, and while you were talking that in our society today, a lot of people, it's just like they just want to shut up and never leave their home. That's true. Uh, shake and tremble with fear. That's true. And uh, oh God, what if I go out there? I might catch COVID. I, I might die. And I've got all these health problems and situations. Um, it's like you said with the the leprous men. You know, why why sit we here till we die? You have a choice that either you can let fear paralyze you and keep you locked in a cell, or you can come out swinging. And you can make an impact for the kingdom of God. Or like you said, if you're a backslider, you can sit at home and tremble and just say, well, you know, I guess I'm just going to die here. Well, get up and do something about it. The hope is right there in front of you. You gave us the answer to our society's ills. It's not a doctor. It's not a politician. It's not, you know, any, any, any vaccine or anything like that. The real hope is in Jesus Christ. Right. Because if you save your body, but in the end lose your soul, it hasn't profited you anything. That's right. Um, and I thought about this portion of scripture. The Bible tells a story in the book of Acts chapter 12 about the church being persecuted. Peter's put in prison. Peter has resigned himself to the fact, I guess I'm going to die. It's over. But the Bible says the church prayed. Now, we don't know what they prayed. Some people said, well, they didn't know for sure he was going to be released from prison. But they were praying and it got God's attention. And so the Bible says that the angel of the Lord came in and he smote him. He woke him up. What the church needs what backsliders need, what people need. We need God to smite us and get our attention. And sometimes, Brother Eric, it's like you were talking about. It takes, you know, uh, the, the a famine or it takes the heavens being shut up and there being no rain and all these wildfires. We're hearing about all these wildfires in the world right now. And you hear about locust plagues. I mean, a lot of people uh, maybe in America didn't even realize the locust right. plague was going on. But did you see the pictures? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was insane. And then, uh, you know, we've got COVID and all of this other stuff. Uh, I remember when COVID first came out, there's a lot of people that were saying more Americans were praying during that time than there had been in a long time. Interesting. But now that it's, we got used, got to, used it. to it. We That's got right. used to it. But I, I think God a lot of times sends these things to get our attention. But we have to ask ourselves the question, how severe is he going to have to get to get the church's attention? And what are you going to do with the pressure when it comes? What, what you, you know, let's say that uh, a politician stands up and says, well, because of COVID, you're never allowed to have church again. If you have church, you're going to be fined. What are you going to do? It's like one man said, he said, God at this time is separating the chaff from the wheat. Mm -hmm. And if you ever read about, you know, the winnowing fork, how they would take the, the, the wheat and the chap, they'd cast it into the air together because you can't tell the difference. The wind would blow and the wind would discern the difference between the chaff and the wheat. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they gathered the chaff together, they tied it up and burn it. In this season, I think there's a sifting coming where God's sending his wind of adversity and is going to blow out the chaff. But only the wheat's going to come back down and remain in the church. Um, and so I, I think what we're facing in our society is the hand of God. I'm not necessarily saying that COVID is the judgments of God. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think 
it could definitely play into the end time. So let me just throw this out there and then I'll open it up for you guys. But I, I just had these kind of thoughts going. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. uh, one of the thoughts I, I was having is where are we at on the prophetic calendar? What, what do you you know, what do you think? And I'll open it up for you guys. This I've heard some people say it well, was COVID mentioned in Revelation. Uh, where is it mentioned? It's not mentioned. OK, but let me just give my personal opinion. My opinion is as good as anybody else's, because I don't think anybody truly understands uh, Revelation. Uh, that's my opinion. OK, uh, a lot of people claim to have all the answers. I, I don't I don't have the answers and I'm willing to admit that. But what I will say is this. I think COVID is a precursor to what we're going to see. It has showed us how that uh, they can. And, and excuse this, I, I realize I'm going to get a little bit political in this discussion, but if you disagree with me, just hang on. I'm not going to stay on it long. But let me just throw this out there that it has showed us that they can shut down religion, churches from practicing their religion in the name of uh, concerns about health. OK, but think about it. We we heard preachers preach about the Antichrist is going to force everybody to bow, take the mark and they can't buy or sell. And back, you know, back before COVID, we thought, how in the world is that going to happen? But today we understand how it's going to happen. Let, let me put it to you like this. And I'm not saying it'll come to this, guys. That's not what I'm saying. But let's say COVID gets worse. They say it's mutating. Let's say it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And all of a sudden they say, we got this vaccine, but this vaccine is a chip that you put in your hand or your head. Well, you know what? A lot of people in the church are going to resist that. But then let's say you go through a week without food, you go through two weeks without food and you're starving. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say, like you said, remember you said at that one point, things that used to have value. They say, well, maybe that gun's not loaded. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not really all. Maybe yeah, this isn't the chip. Yep. Maybe that really ain't it. Yeah, it doesn't bear anybody's name. I mean, maybe it's not a chip. And it's not necessarily, you know, I hear so many times people looking for the Antichrist. Well, what if his system is already in the world? John said it. The, the, you know, the spirit of Antichrist is already among us. Right. There are many Antichrists, he says at one point, in the world today. So we keep looking for a person. But I think people are missing it that are looking for one person. I'm, I'm not saying I know the Bible talks about a man of sin is going to come forward. I know that will be a person. But what I'm saying is what we need to be concerned about is are we accepting his system right now? Sure. Because when he comes on the scene, you're not going to recognize him if you've already accepted his system. Oh, no big deal. You've already compromised. So right now. You see how this discussion now comes all together. Right now, you need to make the determining factor what has value in your life. Is truth more valuable than anything? Because uh, I believe that this is the fear, the confusion, all of the things you listed there, Brother Ross, I think is is God's sifting process. Mm -hmm. And the, and the uh, COVID virus, primary, almost not the single most, almost the single most important thing that has caused all of this. And I thought early on, too, when they start talking about a vaccine and for safety purposes, and, and I, I brought up I brought up the, the idea that, OK, so so what if they get to the point where if, if only people that's had the vaccine can get out in public and go into the marketplace and buy and sell? And if you haven't had the vaccine and you can't prove that you've had the vaccine, then you're not going to be able to buy and sell because you may be contaminated and, and we don't want people like you out in, in, in our in our society. So, yeah, you can see all that. Already I mean, a mask. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be whatever. They already do it with a mask. What can they do with it? Yes. Yes. So, so that's what I say. And, and 
And we've always known that when we talk about the rapture short church or the coming of the Lord or in time events, and I've always, I've taught a lot of young people over the years. I've always taught them. I said, look, when these things happen, it's going to be an interruption of our normal lives. We, we plan our normal lives, you know, as, as, and as young people, they're planning on graduating. They're planning on getting their driver's license. They're planning on going to school or starting a job. They're planning on getting married and having kids. They're planning on, on, on living their lives and being grandparents. But in time events, the coming of the Lord interrupts all that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen an interruption of all that. <laughs> and, and, you know, our, our day-to-day normal lives are not are not the same for anybody. That's right. And so, yeah, it's uh, you look at yeah. You look at that, and I see you got a scripture there, so I don't want to I don't want to go on this too long. But he said this, and it kind of got my mind working. Uh, one thing you look at the attitude of the early church; they were saying any day he's coming back. Yes. And you look at what Paul said. I think it's better not to marry. Why did Paul say that? Because of the of he understood God's about to come back anyway. Why should you get yourself bogged down with a relationship right now? Why should you worry about having children right now? God's going to come back. They thought of it as any day now, God's going to come back. But we've seen as time has slipped on, we've lost our concern. But Brother Ross, you're right. It's it's uh, we are we are facing that day in time, aren't we? Yes. And and uh, I, I also tell young people that I don't want to leave them hanging, just throw in the towel. So I'll, I might as well just go on a mountaintop and wait for the Lord to come back. <laughs> yeah. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Now, word occupy means to invest. In other words, you invest yourself in the work of God. You invest yourself in your life and the life that God's given to you. Yeah, there will be an interruption of of your life for all of us. But until then, you live your life. You you walk with God. And, uh, you know, so you don't just talking to young people a few weeks ago. I said, I said, look, we know we're at the end of the end of times. I said, but you need to keep living, keep going to school, keep planning your life. And, uh, it's not time to sell all we have and go on a mountaintop somewhere and wait for the, for the Lord to come. I said, that's yeah. been, that's been done over yeah. different groups. I, I was going to go back to the part here where we talked about standing, um, standing for what we believe in standing for, yeah. for, we know we sing the song, you know, for years, people have been singing, I'll stand for Jesus, yeah. let the world go by. I, I reminded when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about a lesson I taught at the nursing home one day, uh, talking about, um, beating the devil at his own game, using the, the devil's method against himself. And that is just outlasting. And that's really the only because the devil can't die. He doesn't die. So he just keeps it. So you'll die before he does, or if, if we go by way of the rapture, but here, but the, but the bottom line is we list, we read apostle Paul says this, what led me to that at the time when I was teaching that is Bible apostle Paul says, having therefore done all to stand, and you think, all right, he's getting ready to give you some kind of big, uh, elaborate like lesson on what you got to do if you've done everything you can do to stand. <laughs> Just keep standing. Yep. Stand there yes. for it. Yep. And so I begin to think about that. And uh, something came to mind here in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Uh, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison mm-hmm. that, ye, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of yes. life. Okay, you. So at the end, you get a crown of life, and then we'll go over here to Revelations chapter twenty. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So if you just 
Having done all to stand, just stand. And in the end, you get a crown while he gets chains. And so you outlast the devil. And, you know, at the very, at the very end, um, all of this thing, you know, all the stuff you have to endure, everything, we go through everything. It seems like it's, oh, it's just so tough. It all all look like it ain't anything when we get that crown. Yeah, that, and, uh, you know, yeah. we talk about many times, even, you know, the three of us doing these little things here, sometimes we don't see the reward of what we're doing, but it's all going to be on that crown when we get to heaven. Yes, right. And so, you know, anybody, that's just to kind of encourage those that are out there that maybe get involved in Bible studies, whatever. Sometimes you don't reap the reward here, but you'll get it in heaven. And so it really is true. Just, oh, yes, just, it's absolutely. The, the, the simplicity of standing, and I think sometimes people complicate complicate living for God. It's, I think in a, in a backslider's mind, sometimes they, they, um, they have all this stuff built up, up in their mind that, oh, how do I get back to God? Well, I got to take care of this first. I got to take care of that first and, mm-hmm. and, and all that. But it really is as simple as, is mm-hmm. as, as, as hitting the altar and praying and, and then taking a stand. For yeah. God. You know, it's, it's just that way too. It's like, well, I've, you know, I've already stood a hundred times. Just stand again. Just stand, just stand, stand right. one more time. Yeah. One and, more and time that's, because and you never stood, know that might be the last if time. If I stand one stand. time, I can stand two stand times. Exactly. If I stand 50 times, 100 times. And, well, and, and then you go back I to where the righteous, the just man falls down seven times. I'm going to keep getting up. back up. A purpose in my heart. And that's yeah, it. That's right. Um, it's, it's like uh, Jesus said, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. That word endureth means to remain, to tarry behind, to remain, i.e. abide, not recede or flee. To persevere under misfortunes and trials, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ, to endure, bear bravely and calmly ill treatments. So it means stand. That's what Paul was talking about. Stand. And I thought about this verse of scripture. If you look in context in First Peter, we've heard this quoted a lot. First Peter five and eight. But if you look in context, what Peter's talking about, he's telling them. He opens it up by saying, "Look, I want to address you this way. You're strangers and pilgrims in this world." And he's telling them, because you're strangers and pilgrims in this world, you're citizens of another country. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. He said, obviously, you're not citizens of this country. You're foreigners here. It's, true. it's like you speak a different language. You look different. You act different. They, they're going to mistreat you. They don't understand you. But then he says, he goes on in chapter five. And uh, if you look at what he says here in verse number eight, be sober be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Then he says this, whom resist. The word resist, what do you think it means? To stand strong, stand firm. Resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions, he's talking about afflictions, he's talking about persecutions, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. He's saying, you're not the only ones going through this right now. Everybody that's standing for the truth is facing this persecution. And I understand as we're talking right now, we may not be facing persecution yet, but I say that day is vastly, vastly approaching us. Overnight. It's overnight. It can happen. Overnight. It can happen. And, uh, you know, it's we could lose our freedoms in one day. And uh, again, I'm not being political, but uh, I do think it's it's important to discuss the fact that um, to the backslider, person out there. In fact, uh, somebody said recently, and they may listen to this, I don't know, but somebody said recently, well, if such and such happens, I'll come back to the church. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the person, I said, won't happen. You said the same thing about COVID. Mm -hmm. Well, when COVID restrictions are released a little, I'll come back to church. Didn't happen. happen. Now they're saying, you know, something else has happened. Well, I'll come back. No, it's not going to happen. Because 
I just want to say, if you're putting it off, stop putting it off. Mm-hmm. You get right with God today. Period. Period. If you know the truth and you've listened to this podcast or somebody's taught you Bible study or you're a backslider and you know mm-hmm. the truth, you better get right with God today. Now is the accepted time. Now is the time. To, and if you're going to do something for God, we heard Brother Shrek guys preach it here not, not too long ago. If you're going to do something for God, you better do it now because we don't have much time left. And I, I honestly, I, this is something I, I was praying just recently, and I'm just I'm being a little too transparent probably, but uh, it's easy to feel complacent no matter what the situation is. You think, you know, like I said, with, with COVID, we got used to it. At first, it shook some people, but then we got used to it. As time's gone on, a lot of people gone right back to what they were. Some people came into the church for a while, prayed through and left. They're not in the church anymore. Uh, people that were on fire for God have stopped being on fire for God. They've chilled off a little. Uh, and then something else will happen. And, you know, maybe they'll come back in, live for God for a while and then leave. And I, it's it comes back to it. If, if it doesn't have value to you in the hours before the persecution, you're not going to hold on to it when the persecution comes. It's like some people say, well, after the rapture, I'll try to get right with God. Nope. Look, we can debate the validity of whether or not you can. But here's my point. And that's not really my point in this discussion. My point is, if you can't live for God now, you won't then. You, won't then. No, you can't. When the Antichrist looks you in the face and say, either I'm, he said, either bow to me or I'm chopping your head off, Bubba. What do you think you're going to do? If you can't live for God in these peaceful times, no, you'll go right along with it. It's, a, it's, it is. it's, 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 it, like I said, pressure. And I keep coming back to this, guys, and, and we're almost done here, but pressure. It's what's going to reveal the. It's going to discern the real from the fake. It's like gold is tried in the fire. How is it purified? Tried in the fire. Burns out the dross. That's right. And and uh, the way we're going to be tried is by fire. Two points. Number one, you mentioned about people getting used to their situation, and their situation can be terrible, but they live with it. Yes. Just in the past few weeks, I do some work where I go to different homes drive around different places, go in homes and, uh, you know, things like that. I have oftentimes been very shocked when I go into homes, the way some people are living. Uh, Mm. Sometimes the stench in the homes is overwhelming. The mess that's in there is, is unbelievable. Um, And um, so, and some of those places I've been back more than, once not just a one-time thing and sometimes go in and say oh sorry about the mess but it looked but then when i go back a month later two months later it's the same mess that was there and perhaps all of us have here been driving somewhere and you go buy a place that's just broken down cars everywhere appliances on the on the porch you know that you know the scenario and so i thought about this of how how does how does a person get to this point where they're, where they're living like that. And, and I, I thought it through, it starts one pile at a time, mm-hmm. one little mess at a time, one broken down car at a time. Um, the, the one little mess is there. That's a mess, you know, and it really needs to be cleaned up. But you know what? It's been a week and I'm fine. Oh, there's another mess. There's another pile. And the next thing you know, people are l- literally living in filth because they have learned to live like that. People mm-hmm. do that with, with sin. That people do that, backsliders do that. They learn to live with that. Yeah. The second point is the pastor preached recently on momentum. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and uh, I thought about this. Uh, when I was in high school, I was <clears throat> I ran track. I ran a four mile relay one time. I was a third man in a four mile relay, and um, so there were several different schools there racing. And uh, first two guys on my team took off. Man, they they got a tremendous lead. We were so far ahead, and I was the third man. The guy came up, slapped the baton in my hand, and I just kind of took off. I thought we got this. I was going to coast to victory. I thought. But I just made the first turn, and I'll never forget my coach standing in the middle of the field, literally screaming at me to run, run, run. And it just kind of woke me up because I just thought I was could coast along, be just be all right, because we, we were already way ahead, right? And so so he just, I mean, from that point on till the finish, he was screaming at me to run. Evidently, the teams behind me or the guy behind me thought he was going to catch me. And he never did. But uh, but if I would have just coasted along just because I had a good head start, didn't keep the momentum going, uh, we, we, would, we ended up winning. We ended up winning. And but when I got when I got to the end to hand it off to the next guy, I was totally spent. And uh, that's kind of the way it is in, in church living for God. Um, and I think of our church, we've got a good thing going here. We've got a really good head start on things. Mm -hmm. We've got a good momentum going. Maybe that's a better way to start, say it. We've got a, we've got a good momentum going. And and we can't just coast now. We've got to keep this, the same momentum that got us here. It's got to be the same momentum that gets us to the next, gets, gets us to the next place. Right. And so so you talked about Peter being, being smoking and, and wake, you know, he was awakened by that. My coach yelling at me was that, wake up, mm -hmm. you got to run. All right. And, it's high and, time to wake up. I, yeah. I, I can uh, remember um, when we, you, you'll remember this situation too. I mean, you was together and we played a little bit of table tennis back in, when I was younger. And we had a coach that was helping us get better and things like that. We'd get in this little thing he called play in the zone. And what that was, was, he sometimes we'd just be hitting the ball over the net. And we'd just be playing and kind of chit chatting, whatever. He'd be talking. He'd be messing up. You'd do doing things wrong, things he hadn't taught you, and he'd come over and get onto you. But when you got into the zone, he called it muscle memory. That you automatically did everything you were supposed to do because it's what you've been do. That's what you've been taught. It was inbred in you to do it. And when you zoned into what you were supposed to be doing, you just did it automatically. And that's how it is when you're living for God. When you're Walk in the spirit and let God lead and guide you. You just do it automatically if you're doing what you living the way you ought to be living, doing the way you ought that's to be doing. Good. So it becomes easier to stand yes, because good. you've been taught all your life to stand. Thy word you, have I hid in my, my heart. Yes. That mm -hmm. I might not sin against yes. thee. So when he was talking about that, I just happened to think about that too. That's that good. you know, you you build on that momentum. The coach taught you how to do it, the pastor taught you how to do it. And when you're living right and you're walking with God and it, it just comes natural, you just want to do it. Yeah. You want to live for God and it just becomes yeah. easy. And that's, that's a good point too, because something else I might say to the, the lone ranger out there that thinks you can live for God without a pastor, without a church. Yeah, yes. Sometimes you need that kick in the seat of the pants. Right. Yes. Uh, like yes. you said with the coach saying run mm -hmm. because you know, the devil, let me just say this. The spirit of complacency is one of the trickiest spirits to deal with. Because before you know it, it can put you in a slumber. Uh, Paul wrote and he said he said something going on with the Jews. He said, is God has given them a spirit of slumber. Mm. It, it doesn't matter how much you preach to them. Can't see it. 
they're totally asleep. That's true. Yeah. Nothing you show them will matter. Right. That's a true. And so this this is what I want to warn somebody is the devil can put you under a spirit of slumber. The only thing that can get it off of you is preaching. Yes. And you come into the house of God and your brothers and sisters challenge you and the pastor challenges you. That can help mm-hmm. shake right. you up. Right. It's like, you know, you, we're not playing in our own team here. We're, we're, we're on the team of God. You need you need to be submitted uh, to a pastor, to a church to help shake you out of your rut and routine and ritual every now and then. Sometimes it might make you mad, but that's probably if it makes you mad, it means he's probably doing his job. Right. You know what a pastor is? A pastor's a rumble strip. You've been driving down the road. That's good. You've been driving down the road. It's That's smooth. Good. You're just going along. You get distracted. You just kind of look over here, or or, or you're distracted over here, changing a CD or something. You're everything's smooth, and you drift. You start going where you shouldn't go, and then that rumble strip. Or you get tired and you go to sleep behind the wheel. That's a, yeah. that's what a pastor is. He's yeah. that rumble strip. Yeah. We're talking one last. I'll make one last point, and I'll, I'm gonna shut up. But, um, one thing he's talking about going to sleep and we're talking about the last the end time and all this kind of stuff and trying to correlate put it all together uh second uh peter chapter three verse three and four knowing this first that there were shall come the last day scoffers walking after their own lust and saying where is the the promise of his coming right for since the fathers fell asleep well, yes that's good all things excellent so so there there when you look at that somebody fell asleep and so therefore that that's why they were Maybe you sit back. He said, "Well, well, he ain't coming. What's he got? Yeah, he ain't gonna happen." But you got to wake up and wake realize up. that we are there. It's it, you see the signs that are pointing in that direction. It's good, and we got to. It's, like, it. it's like Paul said, and I quoted a minute ago. But it's high time to wake out, wake of, sleep. out of sleep. And it's kind of like sometimes we sit here and read texts, and we understand they were writing, but I almost kind of wonder if Paul had been in person if he had shouted that. Mm-hmm. It's high time to wake out of sleep. That's yeah. right. That's he right. said, because now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And if he said that back then, how much more how much so is more. it true today? Uh, so I'll, I'll just tell you this, and I, I'm not trying to use fear tactics, but uh, hey, if it works, honestly, you know, yes. it's probably not a bad thing to use them if it works. Fear can be a good thing. Fear can be a good thing if it uh, propels you to do the right, right thing. Right. Uh, okay, let me just say this. Uh, Somebody out there might be saying we've talked about standing and help me to come back to the topic I was going to talk to you about. This just hit me. Uh, somebody might say, but I'm so afraid. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that those three Hebrew children didn't feel any fear when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar? Some people might think so, but they were human. They were human beings. They said, our God's able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. Just in case, let me just tell you, we still won't bow down. That's right. right. They didn't know what was going to happen to them. Right. They didn't know for sure they were going to survive matter. that fire. It didn't matter. Uh, Daniel, in the lion's den, you're going to tell me maybe he didn't face a little bit of fear. But listen, he did not let his fear paralyze him. And I want to just tell somebody out there, you say, well, I'm so afraid. I don't think I can stand. And, and, and you know, if God's really giving me the courage and the ability to stand, then I'll stand. But look, you may be afraid. But that doesn't mean that just because you're afraid, God hasn't given you courage. Sometimes you got to face your fears head on. Turn your fear into faith. I know it's said so often. Uh, but I, I think sometimes we, we get this mentality. You know, I know the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you look at that word fear, it means timidity. Right. God hasn't given you the spirit of timidity. Oh, I'm just so timid. No, God's put in you power, love and a sound mind. That's the cure for fear. 
It's power, love, a sound mind. The timidity comes in too when you're witnessing too. Yeah, so exactly. Not giving you the spirit to be scared. Yeah, right, right. believe you. Right. Apostle Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Our love and sound mind. Have you guys, though, uh, just, you know, kind of being honest, you're trying to witness to somebody and you don't know what to say? You yeah, ever absolutely. felt a moment, a tinge absolutely. of fear? Absolutely. absolutely. We feel yes. it all the time. Yes. But you do it anyway. Yes. You do it anyway. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when David stood before Goliath, maybe he had no fear in him whatsoever. Maybe he had some fear in him. I, we don't know. Uh, you know, when they went into a battle, I'm sure sometimes they went into battles. There was a little bit of fear. In them. Sure. You got swords flying. You got brothers and, and, and people around you dying. Yeah, you're feeling a little bit of fear. But, you know, sometimes it's like uh, some people talk about they use their fear uh, as a uh, as a motivating factor. I've heard people say that, you know, talking about in fights, boxers, sometimes they might use their fear to propel them. To, and, and use it instead, turn it into strength. I think is you guys maybe be able to help me, but the, I, I don't know much about karate. But I think I heard somebody talk about they use their fear and turn it into momentum. Uh, and if you could somehow discipline yourself, you know, say, well, yes, you feel fear. That's normal. It's normal to feel a little bit of timidity and fear. Sure. But God has not given you the spirit. Now, that's what that's, that's the key, key word that's here. Key. He didn't say God has not given you fear. He said, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Don't be driven by fear. That's because you feel it doesn't mean you have a spirit of fear. Don't be driven by it. Don't let it drive you. Courage is not the absence of fear. Well, and it could also, too, talking about the fear that that you're talking about, it would be make somebody fearful to want to come to God or whatever, but that fear can also run out if you get complacent. Yeah. You You can't lose the fear there. I had a, just a quick reference here, had an uncle who, um, He's passed away now, but I, he, he wouldn't mind me telling his testimony for it. But uh, you could get him to church in a blink of an eye. All you do is say, you go up to him and say, hey, I had a dream about you. I had a dream you died. I had a dream you went to hell. Um, you know, or he'd come, sometimes he'd come to church at Easter or whatever, and he'd hear pastor preach about hell, or, or he'd hear, you know, talk about, he'd be scared to death, didn't want to go to hell, didn't want to die, didn't want to, didn't want to die lost. Run to the altar, get right. And two, three weeks later, fear would leave, fear would run off. And go right back out in the world, right back out into the same thing. And but what the difference was, the reason he's in heaven today, the reason he ended up making it right, and he ended up dying that early death, he was scared of dying. And all that. The reason what changed it was he got out of fear and got into relationship. Yeah, and he got he left fear and he got it into yeah. where he he built momentum off of he got a hold of God. He, he was able to touch God and serve God. And so when he realized, hey, living for God is so much better than all that stuff I had in the world, actually selling out, buying the truth. And selling not buying, getting all the way in with not not have nothing else to go back to. And when you when sell it, you when he finally did that, that was all the difference. Excellent. Um, And so, what we'll do is just maybe do a closing remark for each of us. Uh, I'll say my closing remarks is just simply this: I encourage those of you that are in the church to get in this thing with all your heart. Don't play games. This is not the time to play games. This is serious business. And don't let the devil paralyze you with fear, but also don't let the devil make you complacent. Because here's the thing it, it's uh, that I'm seeing, at least in this day and time, that I'm kind of shocked because there's so much going on in our world, yet so many churches are sound asleep. They're sound asleep. They don't, they don't witness. They don't pray. And this is not the time to play games. This is the time to get serious with God. And then to the backslider, I just want to ask you, what are you waiting for? 
What else does God have to do to get your attention? That's right. I thought about that. Too. And uh, then to the person that is not saved, you have not repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, received the gift of the Holy Ghost, according to Acts 2, chapter 2, verse 38. Uh, again, what are you waiting for? You better do it now. If you're going to do you know, the right thing, you better make that decision now. If you put it off, you may run out of time. The time clock, we are, I'm telling you, I know we say it so often. But I believe I can say it now and maybe people will have I'll have their attention this time because of what's going on around us. If you see the riots going on in the streets, this is really how I wanted to open the discussion. But I'll close it with this is two things characterize the days of Noah. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, two things that characterize it were violence and corruption. Are we not facing violence and corruption, riots in the street? And nobody's calling them out. They can and and defunding police officers, mm-hmm. not even allowed to defend people anymore. Uh, and you just see people being murdered on the streets in, in plain sight. And I'm just and I don't care what you're rioting for. Riot's still a riot. Sure. Uh, you see uprisings. You see conspiracy. You see corruption as it was in the days of Noah. It's. And, and then also think about Sodom and Gomorrah as it was in the days of Lot. What are we seeing? The legalizing of sin. Uh, and it's in, not only do they want us to accept sin, they want us to embrace it. Mm-hmm. It's not about just, no, we want you to accept this. We want you to approve of us. We want you to put us on a pedestal. Now they're saying the latest thing they want to push is they want to push it to where if a child wants a sex change, they can tell their teacher and their teacher can keep it from the parents legally. Go do it and encourage them to do it. This is this is what we're facing in our society, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Same thing they faced back then. Let me tell you, we are almost out of time. Now is the time. You must repent of your sins, be yes. baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Now is the time. Yes. And not only that, it's a good life living for the Lord. It right? is. Man, you, you talk about, I, I, I've watched what has taken place in the last few months, and I'm and I'm like, thank God I've got the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Thank God i got a peace that passes all understanding. Thank God I've got something the world didn't give and the world can't take it away. Uh, Brother Mills, you mentioned that churches are asleep. There's churches, there's some churches that that are still doing the online thing they're not having church there's some churches that have went back but they went to only only one service now on sunday and no services through the week they they've cut back on their services that's not that's not having church I, uh, and, and you know it's not my place to say what a man of god needs to do with his church but i'm just saying i'm just saying man it's a good life living for God. True. And yes, and if you're not, I mean, it, it, yeah, there should be that that fear and that dread of what's going to take place if you don't get your heart right with God. But thank God you got a little space to repent here. You know, if the Lord comes, this may just be a recorded podcast for someone to hear. And it could be too late. It, it will be too late for some people someday. I mean, that's, that's, that's right. just a fact. That's right. That's just a fact. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about, uh, you said this is, I'm going to say this in closing comments here. Um he was talking about Noah and Noah's day. Um, it's funny that only Noah and his kids and his wife were got on the ark because you know why? No one believed there was a flood coming. 
if they'd have really believed it, they'd have been getting on that arc like crazy. I've often and, wondered if even his own kids believed it. Yeah, but yeah. I bet they thank God every day yeah. once they got on that arc and the flood started. Thank mm-hmm. God for Daddy. We thank used to think God, he was nuts. Yeah, yeah thank God Daddy lived for Sorry, God. Oh, no, 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 you're fine. That's exactly where I was going with it, though, right? You're, thank God Daddy lived for God. Thank, thank God. And so, you know, sometimes we got to think more than just we think outside the box and realize it ain't just us that's affected by all this, too. We have children that have to live for God and, and that have got to get on the ark with us. And I will say too, talking about church, uh, brother Ross, bringing that up. I seen the other day and I, this is a local church and I don't care if they, if they get mad at me, if I say it, I don't think they'd hear it anyway, but if they do, cause, uh, but anyway, they, there's a sign downtown that says, uh, you know, if you go to their church, you come to our church, it's a church for non-churchy people. Okay, yes. And then why go to church? What, what, you know, if, if you're going to go just to make yourself feel good about life or feel better about, you know, you, you, you go to the world in the world and you're all worried about all this fear and all this stuff we're talking about. You go to church and get that for just a few minutes, you, you know, the, during the slideshow or the video they're watching or the music they're playing. Feel better about yourself for a little bit and go home on Monday with the same fear, the same worries, the same hate, the same problems, everything you face. But or do you want that or do you want to go to church where you can actually get a hold of God, where you can actually build a relationship with God where when you go yeah. home, you go home different. You I go home not changed. want to be in this world right now without living. Without Absolutely. Living. Let's, let's just put it this way. Uh, you may say, well, you want to go to a church where I feel good. That's not the right kind That's of church. Uh, because let me just tell you this. Jesus didn't preach feel good sermons. No. And I know everybody says, well, Jesus was lovey dovey and they have him as this effeminate man that would walk around with his, you know, his long hair and his rebellious. I heard one guy said, man, I love the way Jesus looked. I think he was long haired, rebellious to his society. I, 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 I just honestly, the first thought that came to my mind is just I wanted to call him an idiot because uh, obviously you you haven't studied the life of Jesus. No, right. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was rebellious as far as to the satanic system of this world. But to think that, that Jesus was some kind of effeminate figure that, that promoted rebellion, of course not. Jesus said the scribes and Pharisees, they sit in Moses seat. You better do what they say, but don't do what they do. Uh, so this, this is just something I want to kind of close out with this and say, if you're attending a church that isn't preaching and warning about the ills in our society and isn't telling you to come out from the world and be separate and isn't giving you a call to holiness, a call, and, and putting ultimatums, because the Bible gives us ultimatums. Shocking, Jesus said only a few would be saved. And and Jesus, shocking, Jesus said, except you be born again, except you be born of the water and the spirit. You cannot see and you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's John 3 and, and, and also uh, 3 and 3 and 3 and 5. But this is what I'm saying. He gave ultimatums. You either do it and be saved, or you don't do it, you're lost. Going to hell. Right. Period. Absolutely. So he gave ultimatums. So if you're going to a church that's lovey-dovey and everybody just they talk about how good you are and make you feel good, because that's what a lot of churches are today, guys. It's right. just that you go in and it's and I'm I'm seeing it even in apostolic ranks where it's all these feel good messages. It makes you feel really good, but it doesn't challenge you. It's like you said, it doesn't tell you to wake up. God's coming back. You better get your act together. And I don't know about you, but I don't want surprises on the day of judgment. I'd rather go ahead and have a man of God tell me now, if you don't stop doing this, you're going to hell. Then to stand in judgment, God says, why didn't you stop doing it? Well, nobody told me. Do you love your preacher now? What are you going to feel about him when you're burning in hell? You're going to wish he'd have told you. 
Exactly. I'd, I'd rather sit under a man, honestly, that sometimes may cause hey, me to kind of hate him. Yeah, or, yeah, I'd be mad, get mad. And, yeah, yeah, I'd rather you know? be mad at him now and love him when I get to heaven. That's the truth. And you may have some moments where, you know, where he might preach something that hurts you a little yeah. bit and you kind of go home. Oh, that hurt. Yeah, that, yeah, that smarted yeah. a little bit. And pastors preach some of oh, those. Yes, he does. Uh, but at the same time, I, I always come away and say yeah, he was right. He was you know, there's let, let me just I'll close with this. I'm sorry. guys. <laughs> I want to say this, though, in closing, and I haven't really said this before, but this is something I want to say that Pastor Davis, many times I've gone to him about certain matters and he said, this is what you need to do. And I said, that hurts. That's not what I want to do. Wow. And I told my wife, I said, that's happened probably a series of and many times, probably five times I could remember specifically. I had something in mind I wanted to do. And I went to him, he said, no. And I look back on it now and I said, but hon, now that I look back on it, he was right in every single instance. I didn't understand it at the time, but I just obeyed. Mm -hmm. And because I obeyed, God honored it. Every time a blessing came out of my obedience. That's right. And so I'll just say, if you don't have a man of God that tells you no every now and then, he's not a man of God. Not a man of God. That's right. So, all right, guys, I think we're going to close that down. Uh, This is just some of our thoughts about the ills of our society, the day and hour we're living in. And uh, so we'll just close down by saying, if you, if, you know, if you're waiting, stop waiting, stop waiting. get right with God. Right. Thank you.